never been a fan of the big pharma life. I don't really have any interest in plowing soybean fields or going out to the barn and milking cows early in the morning. That's not my thing. Wait! <laughs> not big farm. Big pharma with a PH. I've never been a guy who was interested in pills or things that make me feel better. Yes, I'll take an ibuprofen occasionally if I have a little bit of a teensy-weensy headache or a muscle ache. It is very rare that I will take something that has been pharmaceutically prescribed to me. And it is very rare that I will even go seek a pharmaceutical prescription. Something's got to be really fucked up with the Jeff machine for me to want some pills. Here, I'll give you an example. About 15 years ago, I broke both my pinky toes and my tailbone in the same incident. Not pleasant. I'm not going to get into the details of the incident because it was just clumsy old Jeff. And with those types of injuries and breaks, there's not a whole lot medical science can do. So they prescribed me some Vicodin for the pain, Yay! which I did not finish. I didn't want the Vicodin. It made me feel way too fucked up. I'd rather just deal with the pain. Sadly, there are many in this modern society that don't want to deal with the pain, whether it is physical, mental, or emotional, and they are very willing to turn to the pharmaceutical side of things to quote-unquote fix the problem, finger quotes, but most of those people seem to not be really fixed, maybe regulated, but not fixed. So, all that to say, the topic of my show today is dosed. And overdiagnosed in expose by the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast. I do have a lot of stats and research and numbers and fun stuff for you kids today. Thanks, Jeff. We're going to learn a lot today. That's right. You will. In general, I'm just very distraught with the modern society of just this constant diagnosis of this and that, especially from a psychiatric point of view. And, you know, diagnosing what are quote unquote finger quotes mental disorders. And there's so many aspects of this that we're going to get into, so I'm going to try and keep myself focused, I'm going to try and keep myself linear, and together we're going to get through this. So I do think there is a connection in diagnoses, diagnoses, what's the word? Diagnoses, diagnoses. We'll find out on post-production when I ding or buzz myself. But as big pharma or you know big pharmaceutical companies have started to come out of the woodworks and medicine has become a very profitable industry, I do think there is an aspect where you have these drug reps. I know for a fact that drug reps from the big pharmaceutical companies go to doctor's offices, little primary care physicians, the people that you go see just for your annual physical, not for anything major. They visit them all the time and bring them all kinds of food and shit that they love because they want to make sure that these doctors are recommending and prescribing their company's shit. That's fucked up. Pharmaceuticals should never be treated like any other item as far as a sales aspect, yet somehow pharmaceutical reps in the sales industry, these people are wealthy. They do very well, which is very weird. Don't you think? I also think we've had an issue with due to the desire to be able to prescribe something or make the person or the patient feel better in the doctor's office. I do think that physicians have been slightly motivated to perhaps diagnose someone quickly 
and with some blanket algorithm in their head, which is not always a good or proper diagnosis. We will get to all of this in great detail. I just want to set up the podcast before I get into a bunch of nerdy numbers. Speaking of nerdy numbers, and to help support the argument that I am making, let's look at big pharmaceutical companies. So basically, these are the revenue numbers for the pharmaceutical industry as a whole since 1975 and up until 2018. That's all I could find. I did research. I didn't find charts and stats that were within the last two to three years. So forgive me. Also, in the event that my stats are totally wildly inaccurate and you all want to yell at me, I will tell you that I pulled this information from a website called Statista.com. There's my source. However, I doubt these are inaccurate numbers. So let's get to it. With each one of these years, I'm going to give you the domestic, so the United States revenue, as well as the global revenue. So in 1975, the year I was born, the entire pharmaceutical industry had a revenue of 7.1 billion domestically, 11.8 billion globally. That's a lot of money for 1975. So now let's see how the growth progresses. 1985, almost 21 billion domestically, 31.6 billion globally. All right, we're seeing a trend happening here as people are coming into an information age. They are, you know, doctors are becoming more readily available. It's not just the Andy Griffith show where we're we're going to Doc Paul and we're going to get our broken bones fixed with a good old fashioned leeching. All right, so let's flash forward. 1995, we are now on my third statistic, and this is two years after I graduated high school. In 1995, 57.1 billion domestically, 91 billion globally. These are huge jumps. Do you see the trend? Because I do. 2005, oh my God, we are now in the internet age. Where were we in 1995? We were at 57 billion domestically. In 2005, $166 billion domestically. $236 billion globally. That's a big jump. And then finally, for these nerdy numbers, I'm going to jump forward to 2018, almost present time, $281 billion domestically, $407.4 billion globally. That is crazy. They went from 1975, from $7 billion domestically, to $281 billion. That's a lot. So if you think the revenue and the income for these pharmaceutical companies is not having an impact on how people are being treated, you're an idiot. So now I want to look at things that are overly diagnosed, misdiagnosed, things like that. That is part of the problem is doctors just want to, okay, yeah, I feel like you fit all these blanket requirements. Let's just put you on uh, Prozac. There you go. Which, oddly enough, nowadays, the word Prozac really doesn't mean a whole lot. Back in the day, Prozac was, well, That was some shit. All right, so now I want to talk about the overdiagnosis, the misdiagnosis of certain things that are helping to fuel the society of pharmaceutical growth, prescriptions, fixing the problem with a little magic pill that doesn't fix the problem. It changes shit, but it doesn't fix anything. 
All right, so now I want to get into things that I believe are constantly overdiagnosed, misdiagnosed, stuff like that. All of this adds fuel to the fire of because when things are overdiagnosed and or misdiagnosed, that causes, guess what? A prescription is written. Now the pharmaceutical companies are making more money. And before I go any further, let me point out that the pharmaceutical companies right now doing pretty good. Why? Because the major pharmaceutical companies have vaccines that are being made mandated and forced upon people and luckily for you it's at no cost to you it's free to get the vaccine no it's not you dumb piece of shit you're a taxpayer the government is buying all of these fucking vaccines to distribute to people and you're paying your share of them and guess what a lot of the share of those vaccines they're not here in america you're footing the bill one way or another just because you spray a piece of shit with gold spray paint does not make it gold. It's still a piece of shit. So I'm gonna start with one of these conditions, quote unquote, that drives me crazy and has driven me crazy for decades. It is now referred to as ADHD. It has been referred to by many names, but the current name is ADHD. Let's take a look at ADHD, shall we? So the condition was first diagnosed, I believe, by a British scientist or physician in, ah, I didn't write this down, I think it was 1902. And it was a condition that identified children that had a hard time following moral principles, but were otherwise normal and intelligent. So fast forward almost 80 years, and it is finally labeled with a name ADD. Now, ADD was attention deficit disorder, and the scientists and physicians at the time thought that ADD often came with both hyperactivity and sometimes not hyperactivity. You can't define it as just one or the other, so there were like two splinters of ADD. In 1987, people said, yeah, fuck that. We're just going to call it ADHD and add the hyperactivity portion. And uh, we're not going to look at it as two strains anymore. I'm not going to do that. But thank you for trying, 1980. We appreciate your efforts. What is my point? That's right. What is your point, Jeff? I'll tell you. We are discussing over-diagnosed conditions. I believe ADD is way, oh, I'm sorry, ADHD is way over-diagnosed. I'm not even sure I believe it exists in the first place. But based on the CDC website, in 1997, less than 6% of American children were diagnosed with ADHD. By 2017, we're now up to 10% of kids being diagnosed with ADHD. These are kids not only being diagnosed, but prescribed medicine. That doesn't sound like a lot, it's only 10%. Yes, but just over 20 years ago, it was less than 6%. That's almost a 100% increase in the diagnoses of ADHD. Now, to be fair and to be thorough, I wanted to research what are the actual symptoms of ADHD. So let's look at them, shall we? The symptoms of ADHD include having trouble focusing on tasks, being forgetful about completing tasks, being easily distracted, having difficulty sitting still, and interrupting people. Really? You're going to look at a seven-year-old as a physician with those finger quotes symptoms and put him on fucking drugs? Shame on you. Now, 
as a father of two children who are now adult age, they are 18 and 19, but I was a single father of those kids from the time that they were seven weeks old and 13 months old. And after splitting up with their mom, I have always had either 100% shared custody or primary custody. So I am an engaged father who recognizes things about kids. I also was a kid and remember what it was like. So based on that, I'm going to give you some research of my own. This does not come off a website. This comes out of my own brain. You're welcome. The symptoms of being a seven-year-old include having trouble focusing on tasks, being forgetful about completing tasks, being easily distracted, having difficulty sitting still, and interrupting people. Same fucking symptoms. Guess what? I don't care whether you're 7 years old, 10 years old, 13 years old. If you're in school and you don't want to pay attention, you don't have ADHD. You just fucking suck at math or you don't like it. Or your teacher sucks. There are so many reasons why people can be misdiagnosed with ADHD or overdiagnosed and again, then medicated. It just really bothers me. I am positive by the definition of ADHD that I have ADHD. Have trouble focusing on tasks. All right, let's see. In the last year, I've released an original EP of music. I started a podcast and then took like a year-long break and then just resumed it recently. I have written and recorded an entire musical original album, but I have not yet quite finished it. I started an Etsy store and I put a bunch of stuff out there, but I haven't really done much with it in months. You can tell just by the way that I'm, you know, trying to remember my own shit that focus may not be my forte. Being forgetful about completing tasks. Well, I would have to be focused enough to set a task in motion in order to forget it. So, and by the way, if you have a seven-year-old that was supposed to do something and they didn't, and you say, why didn't you do this? And they say, oh, I forgot and you believe that they forgot, that they just didn't want to do it or didn't do it, and you take them to the doctor and you put them on fucking drugs, you're kind of an idiot. I'm not going to call you a bad parent because people that do this, they do it out of you know wanting the best and hoping that they can fix something, but some shit isn't meant to be fixed. It's just human nature. All right, but let's continue our self-diagnosis. Being easily distracted. Okay, let's look at the just the last shit that I talked about. I interrupted myself and completely lost my train of thought. You've heard the podcast. You know that happens all the time. Yes, easily distracted. Check, please. Have difficulty sitting still. As a child, I have discussed this before on the podcast. In Catholic school, I was duct taped to my chair by my teacher. Need I say more? And lastly interrupting people. So the reason I was duct taped to my chair in Catholic school as a child was for deliberately and annoyingly interrupting the teacher while she was trying to talk to a fellow student. Does Jeff have ADHD? It sure looks like it. What do we have for him, Bob? We've got a lifetime supply of Ritalin. Sure to provide him all the focus he needs. While it may dull his moods and limit his creativity, we're quite certain that he'll be able to focus on the duller aspects of life. Back to you, Carl. 
Okay, so speaking of which, medication for ADHD. We are understanding these people have these traits, so let's regulate them and calm them down. I have described the symptoms, but I have also found what are considered the personality strengths of people with ADHD. Now, keep in mind, if you medicated these people, they would not have these strengths, because that's what you're doing. You're, you're dulling all of those attributes. We want to make sure they're not overly hyperactive. Here are the personality strengths of people with ADHD. I don't remember what website I found it on, but pretty sure it was kind of legit. Being energetic and channeling energy towards school or work. Wait, isn't that focus? Isn't channeling energy towards something focus? Well, I guess that falls out of the symptom range. Being spontaneous, willing, open, breaking free from the status quo. You guys stop me when you think that I've described something that is a bad trait that you would feel needs medicated. Being creative, introspective, inventive, original, artistic, and seeing things with a different perspective. What a piece of shit. Oh. Being hyper-focused to the point of not even noticing the world around you. Guess what? The world around you is a pile of garbage. I spend the majority of my life hyper-focused on things. Scatterbrained, yes, mind you, but hyper-focused on things and ignoring the world around me. Not opening my social media, socials, not reading the news constantly. If I need to know something, if something in my neighborhood blew up, I do not need a phone or a computer or anything like that to know that. So to me, being hyper-focused to the point of tuning out the entire world, that is one of the greatest gifts I could bestow upon anyone if I had that power. To drug that person and change these traits, what do you think our future is going to look like when we have all of these people who are subdued and they're not able to express their individuality and their creativity and their hyperactivity? Fuck it. What's wrong with hyperactivity? Have you heard the podcast? All right, so basically enough about ADHD. I'm just so sick of hearing from everyone in fucking society. Oh, I got ADD. Oh, I have OCD. Everyone wants to identify as something, and we're going to get into that. But I am trying to give you the statistics so that you understand that between the pharmaceutical industry and overdiagnostics, I don't think that's a word, and misdiagnosing people, and parents just looking for a resolution, little Timmy was disruptive in class today. Do you have any drugs for him? But as I just mentioned, OCD is another thing that whether people are diagnosed or not, they love to claim that they are OCD. I didn't go into crazy research as far as symptoms the way that I did for ADHD in regards to OCD, but that's because I believe OCD is actually a real mental disorder for some people. Like, if you have to knock on a wall 14 times before you open a door, that's OCD. If you like to put your books in alphabetical order, that's fucking normal, asshole. That's not OCD. Lining things up, making things neat, wanting things to look aesthetically pleasing, not liking that pictures are crooked. That's not fucking OCD. If those are the things that you do and you feel like you have OCD and you tell people, oh, it's okay, I'm OCD. No, first off, 
well, I was about to say go to the doctor and get checked out for OCD, but we know how that goes. <laughs> They're just gonna say, yeah, sure, you have OCD. Here's some fucking drugs. But don't take my word for it. Let's listen to what the National Library of Medicine has to say about OCD. Yay! So in late 2012, early 2013, there was a study done and 280 primary care physicians took part in this study to determine if they were able to diagnose OCD. Of this study, the misidentification rate was 50.5%. Over half of the physicians in the study would have given someone drugs for something they didn't even fucking have. Why? Well, it's an easy way to just get them out of my office and on their way, and it makes them feel better. Oh, thank you. You gave me pills. These will fix me, certainly. I'm going to be honest. If you feel like you truly are OCD, I have learned the secret to treating OCD, and that is a fun, family-filled weekend at Lake Winnipesaukee. That is a what about Bob joke, you're welcome. So again, OCD, in my opinion, is very overly diagnosed or misdiagnosed, and a lot of it is people who just say, oh, I'm OCD, but they've never been diagnosed. They're not taking anything for it. It's not that bad. That's not OCD. That's just wanting shit to be in proper order or wanting things to not look like fucking shit. That is self-identification. And a lot of the problem that's causing that right now is the access to information. In the last 20, 30 years, as we've seen and I've discussed, the spikes in misdiagnoses and revenue for big pharmaceutical companies, technology has given access and information to people, whether it's through the websites, articles, blogs, videos, documentaries, even fiction and thriller films that make psychiatric issues part of the core of their plot. A lot of self-identification with these issues, in my mind, I believe, has to do with a desire to be part of something, or included, or noticed. Like, when I was a kid, I was jealous of kids that had to wear glasses. I was jealous of the dude who broke his arm and had a cast on. That sounds stupid. I don't want to break my fucking arm. I'm sure it was painful for him. But I saw all the attention he got and people signed his cast. It was almost like he had an early yearbook that year. Except for the fact that his yearbook didn't smell like a cat's asshole three weeks after he got it. I know it sounds stupid. Why would I want a cast? Why would I want to break my arm? Why would I want glasses? But self-identification of issues, whether it be psychiatric, physical, has gotten out of control, especially in the age of the internet. WebMD. Boy, has that fucked up a lot of people. WebMD is probably the worst thing that has ever happened to society. Because the minute you think something is wrong, you're Googling. You're landing on WebMD. This must be reliable. It says MD on it. So just to illustrate the ridiculous nature of the way people are constantly self-diagnosing and using technology to feel like they know what's going on with their bodies, I have written a little story slash joke. You're welcome. So a man goes to the doctor and the doctor says, what seems to be the problem? The man says, I'm pretty sure that I have a level four blastinoma basal cellophone abrasion. Seems to be getting bigger in size. I, uh... 
Thought I should get it checked out. The doctor frowns at the man with an annoying look, and, you know, the patient chuckles awkwardly. Yeah, I've, I've probably been on WebMD too much. <laughs> the doctor nods, replying, and where is this abrasion? I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, but uh, it's on my labia. The doctor looks at the patient for a few seconds, begins putting on rubber gloves, and says, Okay, drop your trousers and let's get a look at your vagina. Look, it's stupid. People are just reading shit. They're making notes. They don't even know what the fuck they're talking about. Quit looking at WebMD. Quit Googling medical and psychiatric issues. This is why the overdiagnosis and the misdiagnosis of issues is happening. Because people are going convinced, I have this, you need to treat me for this, and the doctor feels pressure. Well, fuck it. If I don't think the pills are going to hurt this person and they're not allergic to it, I'll just fucking give it to them because then maybe they'll feel better psychosomatically. It's the whole placebo effect except instead of a placebo this is actually something that's fucking with the chemicals in your brain even if it doesn't have any significant side effects as far as your health goes it does have side effects like what i discussed with adhd why remove the characteristics from a person that could be a creative brilliant inventive genius I'll tell you why. Laziness. I don't want to deal with my fucking kid. He drew on the walls with crayon. All right. Smack him on the ass. That's right. You're allowed. We're not allowed to hit our kids, Jeff. (gasps) At certain times, it's needed. It is a sense of fear, a sense of consequence that needs to be instilled in children. Look, I'm not saying that I'm not guilty of getting on WebMD and misdiagnosing myself with things. Hmm, That spot on my head seems to have moved two centimeters since Tuesday. Maybe I should call Dr. Johnson. I do understand the mentality, but I do believe that it leads to the diagnosis of things wrongly or inappropriately, much more so than would occur without all of these patients walking into the doctor's office feeling 150% armed with the knowledge of what they already have. I know it has to piss off doctors, but I'm sure a lot of people walk out with exactly what they wanted to walk out with, and that's not how the system should work. So before I wrap up the episode, let me discuss misdiagnosis. This is not so much as overdiagnosis, but this is when an actual patient is misdiagnosed with something severe. And it turns out to not be true. Shortly after my son was born, I had a vasectomy because I was like, okay, that's two. I'm good. And years later, I was getting a physical and my doctor was concerned with what felt like a lump in, how do I put this nicely, my sack. So he had me scheduled to go get an ultrasound done on my testicles. Nothing is more fun than laying on your back in a dark diagnostic room in a hospital at around 7.45 in the morning, butt naked other than this flimsy little gown with a female diagnostician, I don't know if that's, with an ultrasound little thing rubbing it, you know, just slowly back and forth across your sack. It's very uncomfortable, very cold, very awkward. Turns out, It was just scar tissue for my vasectomy. So thank you, doctor, for referring me to that appointment. 
Speaking of cancer scares, oh, uh, about a year and a half ago, I went for my annual physical and they did blood work because I am at an age now where they do blood work on you annually. And about a week after my doctor's appointment, I get a phone call from the Zangmeister Cancer Center in Columbus, Ohio, saying, we're just giving you a call to schedule an appointment. Your primary care physician recommended you to us. Please give us a call back when you get a chance to schedule an appointment. I want to make it clear, at no point in the previous week had my primary care physician called me to tell me they had referred me to the Zangmeister Cancer Center. So as soon as I get this voicemail, because of course I don't answer my fucking phone, I don't recognize the number. Even if I it says Zangmeister Cancer Center, at that point in my mind, they just want a donation. I know, got a voicemail. So now I remember it was right around my lunch break at work that day, I call my doctor's office and get a voicemail that says, we're on lunch for the next 14 hours. Please give us a call back on Thursday and we'll be happy to field your call. All right, I'm exaggerating. It was like a two hour window, but it's like, fuck, I can't get through to anyone. In the case of an emergency, they want you to call 911. To me, this is an emergency, but there is no one to speak to. So now I'm like, fuck, okay, wait, there's an online portal. So I'm like looking through emails and trying to find information. I didn't use the online portal. I don't give a fuck. It's a once a year appointment. It's not something that I am accessing regularly or even know if I have access, which at the time I didn't. I had to create an account. So I now finally have access to the documentation from my physical. And it's got all these weird comments on it about essentially the way I read it while I couldn't talk to anyone at my doctor's office because they were getting lunch was that I had either tuberculosis or leukemia. Now, as I discussed in a previous podcast, my grandpa, my mom's dad, died of leukemia right around this age. So, that's not good. There was all kinds of technical shit that I can't understand. So now, yes, I'm forced to fucking WebMD and like, look at this. Oh my God, those those blood counts aren't looking good. So I call back the Zangmeister Cancer Center. I make an appointment and I have the appointment. And within an hour of my appointment and more blood work from the Zangmeister Cancer Center, they call me and say, yeah, your doctor's office made a mistake. Everything looks fine. No biggie. But I will tell you that a misdiagnosis, while not comparable, I will never compare this to, obviously, anyone who has been diagnosed with a horrible disease and has to go through the treatment, potentially the recovery, potentially the relapse, potentially not making it. I am not comparing my experience to the experience of those individuals, but I will tell you that for a period of time, a misdiagnosis is just as bad as a diagnosis. Mentally, emotionally, it fucked me up for a couple weeks, waiting for that second scan, knowing that I was getting that second scan at a fucking cancer center. It's not like, you know, John's blood work called me up and said, yeah, this is John and John's blood work. Yeah, we we just want to get you in to take some extra tests. We found some stuff in the upper ventricles that we just, we just want to double check. Okay, we'll see you Tuesday. That would have been better. 
All right, I have gone on and on. I guess the whole point of this episode is I just want to illustrate to people, try not to over-diagnose not only yourselves, but your children. When it comes to ADHD, kids are fucking kids. They don't want to focus. They don't like math. They don't like English. They don't like science. Did you? And that doesn't make them fucked up. But you have to be a little bit more tolerant and understanding. Remember what you were like as a kid. You have to make things fun and enjoyable so that they learn in a way that is appealing to them and feeds their brain in a way that they want to feed it. If you call yourself OCD and you have never been diagnosed with OCD, let alone gone to the doctor for OCD, shut the fuck up, quit saying that. You are not OCD. You just grew up in a society where you had access to a library and you understand that things are supposed to be in a certain order and the alphabet matters. And if you're taking pharmaceutical prescriptions for things and it's not working, get off them. And don't assume pharmaceutical products are the cure to everything. This is not Alice in fucking Wonderland. One little pill isn't going to cure everything. Go ask Alice. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I appreciate you tuning in for yet another episode of Jeff Becomes Jeff. Until next time, I'm Jeff. And I'm Jeff. Good night.